0: Distance balls. Sure, they go far, but do they do anything else? The new ERC Soft does. Callaway completely reinvented the way a distance ball performs. Engineered with a new, fast, hybrid cover and a graphene-infused, dual-soft-fast core... It's a new kind of distance ball, one that actually feels soft and spins more. And once you're on the green, ERC Soft's triple track technology will help you dial in your alignment. Get Callaway's longest ball with soft feel today at callawaygolf.ca. Canada's federal election is set to kick off on Wednesday, but before each party gets down to making a host of spending promises, the Trudeau government went on what is considered to be an unprecedented spree of spending announcements. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is Ten Three. Today, my guest is Stuart Thompson from the National Post, who's been covering this story. Before we get to our conversation, don't forget we have a survey in our show notes. Please take a moment and fill that out. And also, don't forget... To find us on your favorite listening app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, subscribe to the show, leave us a rating and a review. So Stuart, with the election, expected to kick off Wednesday morning. You could be forgiven if Canadians have thought we were already in the middle of a campaign. On one hand, we've had Andrew Shear taking up every other commercial break during NFL Sunday. And on the other hand, you have Trudeau ministers and MPs throwing around money left, right, and center. Like, what can you tell me about this kind of pre-election spending binge?
1: Uh, well, I can tell you that it seems to be unprecedented. Not the idea of doing this. This is a pretty uh, old hat idea, which is to go around spending government money and currying favor at the electorate before an election. But the scale of it does seem to be unprecedented. And I should note that we only know that because one reporter – David Aiken at Global News, who used to be a national post reporter, has been tracking these spending announcements in a spreadsheet. He's doing it manually and spending about 15 hours a week doing it. Um, and he's counting up all of these spending announcements. So in the piece I wrote, you know, I, I spoke to David and just asked him how he goes about this and how this looks compared to previous years. And he's been pretty open about the fact that uh, these guys are spending a lot of time uh flying around the country. There's a lot of announcements um in August alone. there was forty five hundred spending announcements. You know you break it down into um if a minister goes to New Brunswick and does you know six or seven announcements in a day, those all count. but mm-hmm. these are a lot of announcements that's forty five hundred in August, and that's about thirteen billion dollars in spending. Most of this stuff is already planned spending they're not ashamed to announce things that have already been announced or that have already been planned um i think what they're looking for here is just some kind of boost they want to they want to get their photo in the local newspaper um holding a check or looking like they're supporting something that they want to be seen reporting uh supporting and and that seems to be the game here
0: now as you said it's no secret that in the run-up to a vote the governing party tends to make its uh, profile and spending power known. You know, we saw it in Alberta in the lead up to the most recent provincial election. The NDP were doing their best to make as many announcements as they could, even with limited financial uh, ability to do so. In the run up to the 2015 election, federally, uh, Stephen Harper also had his ministers out in force. How does this compare?
1: Yeah. Oh, based on uh, David Aiken's numbers, which I mean, I don't have access to these numbers, so I can't verify it. But he was saying that this is something like, you know, on the scale of 10 times the magnitude of these announcements. And, you know, some of that is just clever, because, you know, I remember talking to a journalist about Frank McKenna's government in New Brunswick back in the day. Uh, and he said, you know, they were really smart, they would they would do a press conference for the announcement, and then they would do one for, you know, the funding is ready, and then they would do one for the ribbon cutting, and then they would do one mm-hmm. for shovels are in the ground. And you just want to make sure you get as much bang for your buck as you possibly can. Um, and so a lot of these announcements, I mean, when you have 4,500 spending announcements, it's hard to track them all and figure out if each one is new, or if it's old spending, or if it's just a portion of some bigger pot of spending. Um, but yeah, truly the scale of these announcements, it's huge and it's unprecedented.
0: What hints do we get from all of these announcements about how the liberals may focus their campaign or what ridings they're concerned about?
1: Yeah. So one thing you can notice is that Randy Boissonau, who uh, you guys being in Edmonton will know he's an Edmonton MP, um, he is going around issuing a lot of checks. He issued 69 checks in uh, August, and hmm. that is a lot. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> you can tell that maybe the liberals are concerned about Alberta. Those are going to be re- like Randy Bosano is in downtown Edmonton. So probably, you know, the most friendly place for liberals in Alberta, which is a very unfriendly place for them. But it's going to be a tough seat. Same with Emergy Sohi in Millwoods there. Kent Hare and Calgary, these are really tough holds for the liberals. Um, so that is, you know, kind of rear guard action for them. They're trying to protect these seats uh, any way they can. And then you can kind of get a sense of where they may be targeting. So if you were to just guess, you know, you don't have to be a strategist to think that maybe the liberals think that if they're trying to hold on to their majority, or they're trying to win some seats that they don't already have, Um, they may be targeting Quebec and they may be targeting BC. And if the Mm -hmm. polling that we're seeing with the NDP keeps up, you could imagine liberals thinking there might be some uh, spots there they can win. Some conservative seats in Quebec too, they may think are vulnerable. So if you look at, I tend to think that it's a better idea to look at the number of announcements in an area rather than the funding, because you, you could have one big bridge that's like $200 million and You know, it doesn't really tell you much. But if they're spending a lot of time in one place and they're doing multiple announcements, they're hoping for six photos in the local newspaper and then, you know, you get to see the candidate. The places that have a lot of those announcements, they're writings in BC and writings in Quebec. And one of the ones I noticed that, you know, if you just were sort of an armchair quarterback, you would be noticing that Nathan Cullen, the NDP MP, who's a very prominent MP, um he is not running in this election he's retiring so mm. you would think the liberals would say that's a strong candidate that's not there anymore there'll be some kind of vacuum there maybe we can poach that seat so they have been spending a lot of time in that riding i think there was something like 40 announcements there and you know that's just it just shows you that if they're willing to put those kind of resources there it, it must be on someone's list
0: now what have the conservatives said about all this you know you get the sense that it's kind of a, a tightrope for them to criticize it because they've done it in the past when they were in government, but also while they try and be critics of government waste and government spending, this coming into this election, they don't necessarily want to be seen as the slash and burn party. So how did they yeah. come at this issue?
1: Yeah, this is definitely a tightrope for them. I have noticed that, well, the one thing they're genuinely complaining about, which they think is actually a breach of the rules, is that the Liberals have been inviting candidates to some of these announcements. So this isn't a sitting MP. This is not a member of Parliament um, who would be representing the riding that would be doing the announcement or being part of the announcement. This is just some prospective uh, Liberal candidate. So That's happened a bunch of times. And the conservatives actually made an official complaint about that, that they've been sort of jet setting around and using government money in this way. But then also, they're looking to boost their political hopes with candidates that are not yet elected. But I did notice that Andrew McDougall, who's a former uh, Stephen Harper spokesperson, uh, he was saying this is really hard for the conservatives because this kind of funding, I mean, if you're announcing something in a writing, it may be for something that people actually want in the riding. It might be a bridge they think is needed, or it might be a highway that really needs work. And if you're the conservatives, you don't necessarily want to be seen criticizing the decision to fix some highway that really needs fixing. Um, The other option, the other problem for them too, is that um, they don't want to look like the party of austerity. They don't want to look like, you know, conservatives are gonna come in and cut all this funding and um slice the, you know, infrastructure commitments that have been made. Um so it if you talk to conservatives, it bugs them a lot because you just it, it's tough because it's they feel like it's hurting their chances in the election. But also if you're a fiscal conservative, it probably bugs you on those terms too. But
0: they're not really making that argument publicly. And as we get into the election campaign, obviously the Spending announcements have to stop and then we start talking about promises. Is there any indication that that some of these things that they've announced might carry over into the campaign in terms of areas where they want to spend more time? You, you might see a repeat uh, visit from some of these people into these areas.
1: Yeah, I think what you'll see is, as the campaign starts, that it will be similarly targeted, but it won't be under the pretense of government business. So uh, you will have people like Christia Freeland, who's in a relatively safe riding and is a star in this government, flying around and giving a boost to some of their candidates. And then, you know, this election, I don't think we really know uh, on what terms it's going to be fought. So uh, a lot of this stuff, the kind of uh, nuts and bolts government spending It's not really something you'd be mentioning in a campaign unless the liberals bring it into this argument about whether the conservatives want to cut. And, you know, infrastructure tends to be somewhere that you tend to cut because a lot of these are commitments that are down the road. Um, So that could be a little skirmish, but I would expect that a lot of these bigger debates will be about big policy items, things like pharmacare and stuff like that.
0: Do these announcements actually work in either securing new voters or maintaining your base? I admittedly a, a campaign is a fairly long 5 weeks. Do these announcements stick in voters' memories come voting day or or are people more swayed about what may happen over the length of the official campaign? Yeah, that is a question
1: that as a political reporter I'm obsessed with and it you know, I've I've dug into some of the research on this and over the last few decades, the sort of official line from scientists who study this is that it has gone back and forth. and the most recent comprehensive study that I can find on how election advertising works, uh, this is a, a very large study out of Brook, out of uh, Berkeley and Stanford. Um, they on door-to-door canvassing, they actually increased the research on this tenfold. That's how big the study was, and they found zero net effect from door-to-door canvassing, advertising, which includes TV and internet. It does not persuade people, according to these researchers. And they did find that very early, before, like months before an election, some voters are persuadable. um, But that effect tends to decay as the election approaches almost to nothing. So it's not the thing that a politician who's spending hours and hours and hours knocking on tens of thousands of doors wants to hear, that that's having literally no effect. But it does seem to be the case. And it is incredible to me that all the parties seem to be working on what is possibly a false premise. And I I know this kind of stuff is going to require more study. But um, it, it is one of those things that's worth keeping in mind when we start to hear about how this stuff affects people's votes. And I would also keep it in mind when people start talking about You know, disinformation campaigns and, you know, fake news on Twitter, that is a very real problem. But I think sometimes we overstate the effect of it and the influence it can have. So this is the kind of thing that, you know, they're still working on research on this and it's still the kind of thing that's not a completely settled issue. But when we talk about the kind of effect that this kind of spending and the media announcements, the media stories that go along with it have, uh, it, it seems to be a wash, but uh, even if it's not, then I think we do run the risk of overstating it. So, if it isn't as effective as politicians would like, why do they do it? Well, one thing that I have noticed about politicians is that they try to cover every base. And, you know, they're still spending millions of dollars on advertising. There's, you know, if you follow sports, you will notice that a lot of the thinking on uh, who's a good player and what makes a good player is changing based on updated techniques to figure that stuff out. But the sort of establishment mindset takes longer to change. And, you know, as we go forward and as more of this research gets done and more of the techniques to advertise change, that will change. But, you know, I, I think when you're in politics, there's not, there's, A lot less risk in doing what you think has always worked than trying something new and possibly being
0: blamed for the failure of it. Well, we'll we'll be sure to be checking in with you as the campaign goes on. Uh, Stuart, thanks for your time. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Stuart Thompson. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.